This is the Airplane Geeks Podcast. Our aim is to educate and inform you, explore and expand your passion for aviation, and entertain you a little along the way. This episode, we speak with Carol Dean, the founder and chairman of the board of Grand Dames of Aviation. In the news, Boeing and NASA team up to develop a transonic truss-braced wing airliner. A U.S. judge orders Boeing to appear for an arraignment on a 737 MAX fraud charge. SWAPA authorizes a strike vote, and a procedure change might have contributed to the JFK runway incursion. We also have an Australia News Desk report and also interviews from the 2023 Seattle Aerospace Barbecue. All that and more coming up right now. Welcome to the Airplane Geeks Podcast. This is episode 734 of the show where we talk aviation. I'm Max Flight, and with me is Max Trescott. He's host of Aviation News Talk Podcast. He's a national CFI of the year and an expert on learning to fly or purchase a Cirrus aircraft. Hello, I have been flying all day and just got back, so great to be here with you. I'm glad you're back on the ground and able to join us. Also with us is David Vanderhoof, our aviation historian. He's from the American Helicopter Museum. I have not been flying all day, but um, I'm looking forward to having a good historical conversation this evening. All right. A hysterical conversation. Don't we usually? Speaking of hysterical, also with us is Rob Mark. He's contributing <laughs> to business and commercial aviation. That's part of the Aviation Week group. He's a BizJet pilot, CFI. He spent 10 years as uh, a uh, with the FAA as an air traffic controller and supervisor, and he publishes the Jetwine blog. Hey, it's nice to be with everybody tonight. Our guest this episode is Carol Dean. She's founder and chairman of the board of the Grand Dames of Aviation. No, 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 no. Isn't it the Grand Dames... The Grand Dames? What are you, from Jersey? I mean, come on. Okay, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have interrupted. How do you like to say it, Carol? Uh, we, we call ourselves the Grand Dames of Aviation, although we do sometimes jokingly refer to each other as Grand Dames. And, um, you know, if we were in France, we would put an E on the end of Grand, and we would be the Grand Dames. Uh, <laughs> trust me, there's been quite a bit of... Uh, quite a bit of discourse about the proper spelling, the proper pronunciation. But yes, we, you know, grand dame, grand dom, there's a lot of ways you can pronounce it. <laughs> now, Carol is currently a Boeing 757 pilot for an airline based in Memphis, has over 30 years of experience in aviation. Now, Carol was a test pilot and pilot instructor on the design team, and she helped certify the Gulfstream 5 in 1997. She was the first woman to fly that aircraft. Carol's an FAA-designated Gulfstream 5 pilot examiner and a JAA-certified G5 type check airman. She flew Gulfstream's Part 91 and 135 for various Fortune 500 companies for 20 years before going to her current airline. So, Carol, welcome to the Airplane Geeks podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Now, a few episodes ago, we mentioned the Grand Dames of Aviation, and we wanted to know more. So we asked Carol to come on the show and talk with us. So, Carol, tell us about the mission of the organization, its objectives. 
Yeah, well, thank you so much. Uh, the Grand Dames of Aviation is a nonprofit group. We started as uh, sort of a club, a private Facebook group, which quickly grew to close to a thousand highly accomplished professional pilots. Um, and it was quite amazing how quickly it uh, expanded. And I realized uh, shortly thereafter, you know, we really should come together and, and do something positive, all of these powerful, accomplished women together. And so that's when I started uh, moving towards establishing the nonprofit group. We, as a whole, you know, we wanted to celebrate extraordinary accomplishments in aviation. We wanted to celebrate the history of women in aviation, which a lot of people don't know about. We want to help educate women, uh, offer scholarships, and we wanted to educate the general public about what these amazing women are accomplishing today. And uh, besides celebrating, educating, we want to inspire the next generation, not just women, men. Everyone's inspired by these uh, incredible stories of women throughout the years who have had great success despite obstacles that they've overcome in aviation and aerospace and continue today to do that. And so, Carol, tell us a little bit about uh, some of the the women who are part of the organization, because it really is an impressive uh, of group of individuals. It is. It really is. And when I began to uh, form the board of directors, I wanted to make sure that we had a group of women that when, when people came to look at our website, which is granddamesofaviation.org, by the way, you can see a list of all of our board, of the board of directors and our advisors to the board. I wanted them to say, you know, they're the real deal. These women are successful, accomplished trailblazers, and they're going to go far with whatever mission that they have. Uh, we have the first African-American woman to fly for the Air Force, and she's now a Boeing 787 captain for United Airlines, Teresa Claiborne. Uh, she also found, co-founded the Sisters of the Skies nonprofit, which is, which is specifically for women of color. Uh, she's on our board of directors. We have Olga Custodio. She was the first Latina woman to be an Air Force pilot and to be a, a captain for American Airlines. She's a powerhouse as well, and she does a lot of excellent work for our group. And she's a, uh, a STEM. She's a STEM advocate and activist right now as well outside of our group. We also have uh, Kim Scott Ford. She is the first African-American woman to be hired by Alaska Airlines, another trailblazer, uh, and also uh, very involved in our group and helping to you know, get these scholarships. We have five scholarships that are rolling. One in particular is the Elevation Scholarship, which is for women of color. Uh, we have Teresa Claiborne and uh, Kim Scott Ford. They're heading that scholarship. Uh, because although women are five less than five percent uh, make up the professional aviation world, uh, women of color are one percent. So we want to uh, encourage women of color and get that get that exposure out there, so that we can offer scholarships for them, become pilots, become aeronautical engineers, to become uh, business leaders in aviation. So that elevation scholarship is specifically for women of color. Uh, we also have Cheryl, Fe Cheryl uh, Pfizer. She is the chief pilot for the MD-11 program uh, at FedEx, and she's on our board of directors. Uh, she specializes in airline management, and she uh, is a wonderful, um, also volunteer pilot for Orbis, uh, the Flying Eye Hospital. 
Um, so we're I'm very happy to have her on board and, and we work really well together. Um, we also have uh, several other women involved, including Sharon Pressler. Sharon Pressler is the co-chairman of the nonprofit. She was one of the first women to be selected to go through uh, flight training after the combat exclusion policy was lifted in 1993. She was the first woman to fly an F-16 and to become an F- F-16 uh, pilot instructor. So we're very happy to have Sharon on board as well. Christine Mao, another real uh, badass pilot, the first woman to fly an F-35, and she's currently an instructor for Lockheed Martin on the F-35. She was also the first woman to um, lead the first combat mission and, and comprised entirely of women in 2011, and she's flown over 500 combat missions. Uh, Christy Myers is a pilot for Spirit Airlines. Christy was actually one of my flight students at Embry-Riddle, and I brought her on early uh, because I recall, you know, through the years we've kept in touch, and she was one of the the best pilots I've ever flown with in my life, and and she overcome you know great odds to to have this career that she has. So I specifically chose these women um, because of their accomplishments, because of their ability to to inspire other women, and because of their enthusiasm for the mission that we have to celebrate, educate, and inspire women to believe, achieve, and lead in aviation. So it's not just about becoming pilots. It's also about advancing in their career and in their companies to be leaders as well, uh, because we, we need more women leading in aviation. So we're going to provide the scholarships, also the, the mentorship. All the scholarship winners will be required to be part of the mentorship program. And we're also developing a leadership networking program. So this will be a network of women who are leaders in the aviation industry, not just pilots, not just chief pilots, CEOs of aviation companies and and more. I really like how you require your scholarship winners to become involved in the mentor program. That seems like a really good way to kind of pass things along. I think it's too easy for people to accept scholarships and then boom, they're gone. That really makes a heck of a lot of sense. Yes, we want to make sure that the women who receive these scholarships are constantly, you know, they have fostering these relationships, professional relationships throughout their career. Um, I think that's very important, not just for them, but for the aviation industry as a whole. We don't want to let anyone slip through the cracks. So the, the nonprofit, more than just educating women and helping them to achieve their goals and their careers, we want to retain these women in their careers. And if they somehow leave the industry, as some men and women do, they leave for whatever reason, family, what have you, we want to give them the ability to come back. So we also have a return to service scholarship for women who have left the industry, they're ready to come back, and we're going to offer them a scholarship so that they can get current again, or whatever they need to do, uh, these scholarships will go to or 141 flight schools or to accredited universities um, to enable them to do that. So it's to recruit, retain, and advance women in aviation. And how are mentees identified? Yeah, the the mentees. Uh, now, the mentor would be you know the women who are already grand dames of aviation, which would be women ages 35 and up with at least 10 years experience in the industry as profession as professionals. The mentees, other than scholarship, you know, the scholarship recipients would be mentees. 
But we would have an application process where they could go to our website and contact us through the website to apply uh, to, you know, start this relationship with uh, a, a woman who's already accomplished in the industry. That's something that I didn't have growing up. I didn't have any access to women who already did what I wanted to do. To be honest, at the time when I was in high school, I didn't realize it was odd for women to fly airplanes. <laughs> I just knew <laughs> I knew that's what I wanted to do for a living. It sounded fantastic to me, you know. So I decided at a very young age that that's what I wanted to do. I did the research, found out where I needed to go. I went to Embry Riddle, and uh, never really looked back. But you know, it is important. A lot of people have those mentors. They had family members who guided them. Even today, I know a lot of people who I fly with who they have their, they're encouraging their children to get their pilot licenses while they're still in high school. And, you know, they give them that ability to, uh, that exposure to the other profession, professionals in the industry to help them know what to expect, what to do and how to get there. But not everybody has that. And to be able to provide a professional uh, mentorship to give them that confidence that they're going in the right direction, or if they have a question, you know, how do I get there? Um, you know, oh, how do I, oh, there's scholarships available. Where do I apply for these scholarships? You know, so um, that's how we, the mentees will come to us because they're, you know, they want to be in the industry and they're going to learn about us because we want to get our name out there. We have our website, we're working on social media platforms. And uh, we're also talking to several corporations about collaborations and partnerships. We're gonna, you know, we we're definitely open to corporate sponsorships, and those that's some something that we're looking at right now. But primarily, we're raising the funds ourselves. We're fundraising ourselves, and you know, we'll get these scholarships funded. Now, you also vet the members in the organization <laughs> as well. It's not just uh, anybody that right. can join. Maybe you can uh, describe how that process works. Right. Oh, I guess Rob. I guess that means you and I can't join. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you never know. I um, definitely we do vet. I've had to turn away dozens and dozens of women who are very enthusiastic and want to and men too want to be part of the uh, the group. But at the time, we were only open to women thirty five and it was forty and up. And in order to get in at thirty five, you had to have two references who are already in the group. Um, now it you know okay thirty five and up is good enough. And, uh, and they have to have at least 10 years experience as a career aviator. So that means, you know, commercial pilot, military pilot, doesn't helicopter is fine. Fixed wing, bush pilot, banner pilot, CFI. If you're making money flying airplanes, then that counts towards your 10 years required to be a, you know, a pilot, uh, a professional pilot. Um, if you are under 35, uh, we still want to bring these women in who are very enthusiastic about being part of the Grand Dames of Aviation. And we now have uh, a method of bringing them in early with volunteer service. So with at least two years of volunteer service, we'll allow them to come in five years early at the age of 30. Um, if they don't have that 10 years of experience yet, there's a way we can work around that too. Uh, we've also had a lot of women who are interested who are not pilots. You know, this group is pilot-founded and pilot-focused. But we also want to encourage women to enter other STEM careers in aviation and aerospace. We have to think about the future of aviation. You know, there's a lot of progress with 
uh, unmanned uh, aircraft or single pilot operations. There's a lot of positions available for, for instance, uh, AVTOL, electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. There's a lot of new technology coming out there. We have to have, you know, we have to take a look at where this industry is going and offer opportunities for women who perhaps don't want to fly an airplane. Maybe they want to build an airplane or, or something else. So we, you know, we also are going to offer opportunities for women who are not pilots to become grand dames, but they're going to have to show that they have extraordinary accomplishments in aviation and that they've been in the industry for at least 10 years. The board of directors will review those applicants to decide who can be designated a grand dame or not. Um, one of the ways to become a grand dame, if you're not a pilot, is to serve as an advisor to the board for at least two years. We have two non-pilots serving as advisors to the board right now. They're absolutely phenomenal women. Lindsay Costable and Cassandra Boscow, very uh, experienced in the aviation industry. They are phenomenal. And they will earn their grand dame of aviation title at the another year. They've been doing it now for a year. Uh, That is one way for a non-pilot to become, uh, you know, a, a grand dame of aviation. Well, we're making it very exclusive because it's not easy to become a professional pilot in aviation, whether you're a man or a woman. It's it's quite an accomplishment, and we want to make sure that it we retain that exclusive um, status. You know, to be able to to get the official title, grand dame of aviation, and you can apply for that title to be part of the group on our website. I was going to ask, uh, you, as you just mentioned, it's it's quite an accomplishment to become a pilot. But you said that you wanted people that had uh, extraordinary mm-hmm. accomplishments in the aviation industry. And uh, I know uh, Ms. Bosco, and she hasn't done anything. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. No, no. Don't tell her I said that. She'll yell at me. Oh, she'll, uh, I'm sure she'll uh, listen. No, but, uh, she'll know. What, what, uh, uh, what kind of uh, situations, what, what qualifies as an extraordinary mm-hmm. accomplishment uh, besides earning their various certificates? Well, you know, Cassandra was named a National Aeronautic Association Distinguished Stateswoman. And so that is an extraordinary accomplishment in itself. Uh, (laughs) um, Other things might be, for instance, being an astronaut, but not having uh, 10 years experience as a professional pilot. Another another example would be to be uh, aerobatic champion. So perhaps you were not a professional aviator for 10 years, but you have inspired others. You have this uh, extraordinary accomplishment by, you know, becoming a, a champion. Uh, in aerobatics, Patty Wagstaff is is a grand dame, and she's actually helping us to promote our fundraising watch, uh, which I'm wearing right now. I designed this for the Grand Dames of Aviation. Um, it's called the Grand Dame, and it's made by the Abington Company. Oh, and uh, funds are going towards our scholarships with the sales of these watches. But getting back to what else you can do as far as an extraordinary accomplishment, uh, we also have Shasta Wyaz. Shasta Wyaz for a period of time, um, was the youngest woman to ever fly around the world solo. So while Shasta does not have 10 years experience as a professional pilot, that is an extraordinary accomplishment. And she continues to contribute to aviation. She has her own podcast and she interviews extraordinary people in aviation. And, and I'm, I'm happy to know Shasta and and call her my friend. Um, she and I both, uh, helped Zara Rutherford who broke her record 
Um, Zara Rutherford, just a little over a year ago, completed her record-breaking flight, the Bro Shasta Wyas's record, as the youngest woman to ever fly around the world at the age of 19. Uh, we haven't welcomed Zara into the group yet as an official grand dame of aviation. I think, you know, as, I'll wait for her to maybe get a little older, but she's an extraordinary lady, and we were happy to support her and to sponsor her on her flight around the world from the beginning to the end. We were there for her as Grand Dames of Aviation. I, I was amazed at that when I read that she was just 19, and Isn't I was trying sense? to think about, uh, I mean, I was still working on my commercial, I think, when I was 19, but I would have been scared to death. To, to drive a single-engine airplane all the way around the world all by myself. So brave of her to do that. And I remember when uh, she was making her way down, she flew over Iceland and Greenland and was coming down the east coast of the United States. And uh, two of our grand dames met her at First Flight Airport. And they arranged a whole uh, group, a reception for her at lunch. And they arranged for a tour of the, the Wright Memorial there at First Flight Airport. And, um, and things, you know, went differently than she had planned that day because of weather. So they helped her plan, uh, an alternate flight for later that day. Uh, then I met her down in Jacksonville with Shasta Wyaz and some women in aviation members. Uh, we had lunch together and we went through her entire flight course around the world, gave her advice about different areas and what to look out for. Shasta was sharing with her her experience. I was sharing with her my experience flying around the world, as I did many times in a Gulfstream, not not a single-engine airplane. But um, we enjoyed that time with, uh, with Zara. Then she flew on down through Central America, came back up the West Coast, and kept, got delayed a few times. So when she got to Alaska, her uh, Russian visa expired. Her father contacted me, said, can you help us? get her visa down to, uh, you know, get renewed. So I enlisted some other grand dames of aviation and I coordinated a whole, uh, group of, of different people to help transport her visa from Alaska to Texas to get it renewed and then back up to Alaska so that she could finish her flight then over Russia. And it was amazing what she accomplished, but it was an honor to, to be involved in that small way. Well, you know what I can't figure out is that if, if you women do all these kinds of extraordinary things, who's, what was it uh, that Hillary said? Who's, who's home <laughs> baking the cookies? <laughs> That's or, right. Isn't that what she was complaining about? I'm not just somebody home baking the cookies. Well, but we can do all that. I, some of the greatest chefs I know are men anyway. Sure. So um, men are more than capable of baking the cookies. See, well. we can do something. <laughs> That's I, right. I'm, well, you but know, you know the, what, what, the thing about the Grand Dames of Aviation, though, we we support men also, and we honor men, uh, what they've contributed to avi aviation throughout the year. We have so many wonderful supporters and allies that are, you know, men in aviation. Number one, we're pilots. You know, we're all pilots. doesn't matter if you're men or women. We're in this amazing family of aviation, right? It's incredible. Um, and we don't have any ill will, obviously, towards men in aviation. Uh, we're just trying to, to contribute in the way that we can, recognizing that there is an area that needs some help. We need to inspire more women to pursue their dreams in aviation, to see that it is an option for them, that to show them how to do it, to give them support. And, uh, 
And we also need to do this for the industry because there is a shortage in pilots. And uh, we need to, to make sure we get that talent out there that we need in aviation and aerospace. Well, you mentioned that you have men in the organization, and I was searching, trying to find out what is the male equivalent for dame, and the closest I could come up with would be a knighthood or uh, with people who refer to as sir. But do you have a, a name for the male members of your organizations? I'm yeah. guessing they're they're not dames. <laughs> it's a dude. Yeah, we have not yet determined a title, but I tell you what, I've been looking at that. Um, I have, that's knight, yeah, knighthood, sir, dude, that all of those are, are proper titles. You know, we call each other the GDs. You know, there's the QBs. Um, my uncle was a QB. I had an uncle who, who was much older than my mother. Uh, he was a, a pilot in World War II and on his gravestone. He's a, he's a, a quiet birdsman. And, uh, I have a great uncle who is a pilot in World War One, pilot instructor in World War One. Uh, and we have kind of, you know, talked about the sim- similarity is almost kind of a secret sisterhood, you know, in aviation. Although now, you know, we're trying to actually make a name for ourselves so that we can help uh, with scholarships and mentorship and that sort of thing. But th- there's the QBs and there's the GDs. And um, we would, uh, I am looking forward to expanding. I have so many amazing ideas as what we can do with this organization. And we definitely want to include our are the men who, who we value. You know, we all have so many uh, partners and allies in aviation who supported us throughout the years, male and female, and we appreciate all of them. Carol, this is uh, clearly not an organization that was just slapped together with just a, you know, a great idea and a little bit of thought. Uh, how did you know how to put this together um, so successfully as you have? Hmm. Well, you know, I don't. I think that if you have a passion for something, and you you make it a priority, and you sit down and you, you come up with good ideas, and you brainstorm with people, and um, you just put one foot in front of the other, and before you know it, you have a, an amazing group, uh, nonprofit, and people who are supporting you, and to accomplish these to accomplish something positive um, for the industry and to help other people is a great feeling. And I'm just very happy that we've been able to, to form this group. Uh, it's, it's thrilling to, uh, to be part of this organization and to be part of aviation in general. It's an amazing industry. It's exciting. And I, and uh, I just, I've loved every minute of it. Well, I don't know that I'd say I've loved every minute of it. Cause, you know, Put on net, yeah. Sometimes when you're cli- climbing on top of an the icy wing on a G4 to put a cover on the inlet, that's not that's not loving every minute of it. But looking back on it, it you love it, you know? Carol, it, I mean, there are a number of uh, great organizations, 99s, uh, Women in Aviation, uh, the Grand... Grand Dames, sorry, that's the way I pronounce it. Could you, if somebody was listening right now and they were new to aviation, a woman, what could you tell them about maybe some of the things that make uh, the, the GDs different from women in aviation or 99? Sure, thank you. That's a good question. Women in aviation is for women, any woman who's a, who has a career in aviation. That could be flight attendant, that could be mechanic, that could be an engineer, that could be the, the CEO. Uh, it doesn't matter how many years experience they have. It doesn't matter how old they are. 
So the Women in Aviation organization is fantastic, fabulous, incredible. However, it's a much more encompassing organization um, than the Grand Dames. The Grand Dames is, is, I would say, maybe a little more exclusive. We would like to think it is. It's a, a narrower scope of professionals that are trying to make a difference in the industry. Uh, the 99s. Any woman who has a private pilot license, regardless of age, is a 99s. They do have a group of, you know, professional 99s as well, which, which will probably be similar to the Grand Dames. The difference is, is the amount of years that you have as a career, in a career, uh, as a pilot and age 35 and up. So it's this exclusive group of women who are accomplished, mature women. You know, I got the idea of the name Grand Dames because several years ago, someone asked me if I would mentor a former flight student of theirs who had gotten out of the industry and she wanted to get back in, but she was discouraged and didn't think she could. She had a degree from Embry-Riddle. She was with United Airlines. She had gotten, she was an intern at United. She wanted to come back, but she didn't have any confidence about it. I said, sure, I'd be glad to talk to her. So I talked to her and I told her, you need to get back in the air. You need to go, go to your local airport and start teaching again. So I let my CFI expire. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Never let your CFI expire. I don't care. I don't care if you're teaching or not. I keep mine up to date every two years. You know, I've had it now since, gosh, I've had it since 1991 and, and it, you know, I still have it current and I'll never let that uh, expire. You work so hard to get it, but she did. I said, okay, well, you need to join a flying club. Just get yourself back in the air. I, and she said, well, I haven't, you know, I haven't been flying in a while. I said, uh, you will be amazed at the opportunities that come your way, but you got to put yourself out there. Got to get back in the airplane. Uh, there's a pilot shortage right now. Are you kidding me? They see someone with a degree from Embry Riddle with thousands of hours of experience, and now you're current too. You're going to get swept right up. Sure enough, well, she took my advice, and I give her credit for that because not everybody, you know, they don't follow up. She followed up. She was passionate about it. She wanted to get her life back on track. She ended up getting a job with a regional airline. And I remember when she got her first type rating, I talked to her and she was very, very happy about it. This was her first type rating. And she said, you know, I felt kind of out of place because everyone else in the class was half my age. I probably could have been their mother. I said, are you kidding me? I said, they're lucky to have us grand old dames of aviation. And I laughed and I said, you know what? I should start. I should start a club for women over 40 that are professional aviators. And that's where the first idea came about. And it was about a year later that I started the private Facebook group called the Grand Dames of Aviation. And, you know, hundreds of women, you know, started coming out and joining. It was amazing to me who these women, you know, the accomplishments they had. I felt like I I said, wow, I thought I was something. Look at these women. They were the first women ever to fly for a particular airline, first woman to fly for their country, their international group of women, you know. And um, so that's how the idea got started. But another thing about the Grand Dames of Aviation, um, in 2010, a, a Emmy Award-winning producer approached me. who we, we got to know each other on vacation. We had kids the same age. He asked me if I would help him produce a show about women in aviation. He wanted me to be a host. He wanted me to help uh, decide on content. I said, I'd be happy to do that. I, I started researching content on the history of women in aviation, and I was blown away. I, 
I, I couldn't believe that I didn't already know a lot of these things about Ada Dea Costa, the Stinson sisters, uh, and all of these other amazing women like Bessie Coleman, who are now heroes to me. At that time, I already had 20 years experience in the industry and I was inspired. I thought, what can I not accomplish? These women accomplished this a hundred years ago. What can I not accomplish? This is amazing. People need to know about this. So we raised, we didn't raise enough money to produce that particular PBS show, but it is another thing that contributed to this group is my passion about the history of women in aviation and how inspiring it is. I want others to be inspired also. I want people to know about what these women accomplished and to be encouraged by it and that they too can pursue their dreams. You know, if Bessie Coleman did what she did as the first African-American woman to fly an airplane, she went all the way to France to learn how to fly because nobody would teach her here in, in 1920. And she did that twice. She went to France and came back. And I thought, wow, if she can do that, you know, what can we not do today? And so that's the attitude I have and the confidence I have and probably what's driven me to, to be able to form this group because there's something much greater than us that, that drives it. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to lead this group and I'm looking forward to accomplishing great things. And we're hoping if you'd like to donate to the group, to our scholarships, you can go to our website, granddamesofaviation.org. And if you know a corporation that's looking for a partner or would like to collaborate with the Grand Dames, we'd be happy to consider that as well. You can also contact us through our website as well for that. All right. Fantastic. Now, Carol, I know you've got to get off to work, so uh, we want to thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us. And as uh, some of these future um, exciting things develop, you'll have to come back and, and give us an update when that's appropriate. So thanks again. I'd be happy to. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Many happy landings to you all. Have a grand game day. We've mentioned the interesting new podcast, Air Traffic Out of Control. It's a show that brings you curated air traffic control recordings. They're funny and interesting and even sometimes unbelievable. Uh, the show publishes a full episode every Wednesday, as well as short flyby episodes, they call them, throughout the week. And be sure to check out Air Traffic Out of Control wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Okay, now for the news. Our first story comes from CNN. New aircraft design from NASA and Boeing could benefit passengers in the 2030s. Now, this is part of the Sustainable Flight Demonstrator Project that brings NASA and Boeing together to create a plane with a transonic truss-braced wing configuration, or a TTBW configuration. I guess transonic truss-braced wing, <laughs> wing is too, uh, too much of a mouthful. But uh, this features a kind of a high aspect ratio wing, right? A long, thin, high wing that's supported by diagonal struts to the fuselage belly. And that, that brings some uh, efficiency advantages with that. Are any of you guys familiar with, with this type of wing? Do we see this on other aircraft? Any of you familiar with anything else? Because I have not seen anything. David, anything historical like this? Well, high wings with trusses, you, you, you pick a Cessna. But. Yeah, but a Cessna doesn't look like this thing at all. I mean, this is no, no, this I, has no, a very high aspect weight ratio wing and this angled back 
kind of trust. I don't think there's anything else like it. No, I think it, you're right. An externally braced uh, high aspect ratio wing is, is is really new, and I I think basically the technology is caught up to them or the materials have caught up to the technology. I think that's one of the reasons why NASA wants to go forward with this. And going forward with it isn't just a scale model or this, this is a, a, a full scale single aisle demonstrator aircraft. You know, they're not messing around with this. They're, uh, you know, going full scale right from the, right from the start and uh, Boeing's going to produce that. And, of course, uh, this design gives, well, lower weight, but also less drag, which lowers the fuel consumption and, and emissions. Um, the demonstrator, I think, uh, overall cuts fuel consumption by up to 30 uh, percent. I think not all of it is attributable to this wing design. Maybe 8 to 10 percent uh, comes from the wing design. But there are other changes, other things that they're looking to demonstrate with this with this aircraft. So it's pretty exciting. Well, we should mention that thirty percent is huge. I mean, typically in the aviation industry, you know, we're happy when we find something that makes a one percent or a three percent gain. Uh, winglets was one of those things where you know suddenly we had something new that you could add to an airplane, and hey, it might save three per- three to five percent of fuel, and that was huge. So yeah, thirty percent—that's just yeah, that's astounding. I thought I had seen this truss braced wing earlier, years ago, as a Boeing concept uh, airplane, but maybe I'm wrong. No, you might be right because it does. I mean, it does look a little familiar. I just couldn't put my finger on any particular aircraft. Maybe it was just a you know a design. It's been a technology that's been talked about for for years. It's just I think now that it's a place where they can actually make it and create a system where it will work effectively. Plus, it looks good. It does look good. It looks kind of interesting. Now, something new like this doesn't come cheap, of course. And uh, Boeing and its partners are going to contribute $725 million to this project. NASA will contribute $425 million. That's over seven years. And they're looking for first test flight planned for 2028, and the uh, technology should be ready for uh, ready for prime time, ready for production in 2030, 2035, somewhere, somewhere in there. The, the engines proposed for this are, are, well, there's some speculation, but interesting nonetheless. Uh, there's uh, talk about a possible geared turbofan, but with an electric motor between the fan and the uh, compressor for additional uh, power at takeoff. So it's kind of a hybrid in that regard. I guess there's some thought that the airframe, they may use a possibly a shortened MD-90 airframe for this project. I think it's interesting that uh, just not long ago, latter part of last year, Boeing was saying uh, no single-aisle aircraft uh, at least until 2030, uh, until the 2030s. However, when this came along, um, they kind of said, well, maybe we could work with you guys. Uh, I mean, d- is this not maybe a uh, a way for Boeing to add, or not add, but to gain some uh, uh, expertise in this area that might help them uh, produce a, a single-aisle airplane in the future? 
Yeah, I think that's a great thought. And uh, I think as Boeing looks at their strategy for what's, you know, what's after the 737, they're going to be looking for something to leapfrog the competition and not just match it or or produce a, a small improvement over it because who knows what Airbus may be, be doing. Um, so, yeah, this is a... Uh, potentially a way to achieve those goals and uh, and also get a little bit of funding from outside the corporation. Yeah, like us. Yeah, but that's okay because, you know, what's good for Boeing is good for the country, right? Yeah, I guess. We said that about IBM once. Uh, I was going to ask who, who that was from, but now you, you told me. Okay. All right. Speaking of Boeing, Rob said... Uh, there's some uh, some activity concerning a 737 MAX fraud charge. Um, it's an interesting story. Uh, there are some folks that want to send uh, uh, Boeing back to court uh, to deal with the uh, remnants of the uh, 737 MAX accidents. Uh, and, uh, of course, Boeing had a uh, a side deal that they... Uh, created a couple of years ago a um i forgot what the legal term for it was but a deferred prosecution agreement that's exactly what i was trying to remember thank you that was in january 2021 that was a 2.5 billion dollar agreement and now there are relatives of the victims that are saying they knew nothing about this agreement and that uh, if they had they would have uh, objected somehow i i'm sure it would have been a financial objection uh and uh, and they're saying that this uh, this should be brought up again and boeing is saying no 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 we already did the deal a couple of years ago and uh we've been you know making payments to the various groups uh, as we expected to be and uh, this is not the time to say oh we need to change the rules. Um, so Boeing is not expected to be uh, terribly supportive of this. But something I, I said last night, Mike and I were talking about this, actually. And and I said, uh, you know, isn't it strange that this, this happened, this uh, deferred prosecution agreement uh, happened two years ago. And these families of these victims uh, are, in fact, they uh, the, one of the issues is that they've been designated by this new judge as uh, victims of crime, uh, just as if they'd been burglarized or attacked or what have you. So they're thinking that might change things. But but why now, two years after the uh, the agreement was uh, was signed, is this just coming up? Uh, I, I couldn't come up with a reason. I don't know. But yeah, this judge, who is a federal judge in Texas has ruled that Boeing has to appear in court. Well, it just, uh, let's see, what is it? 23? It's uh, Wednesday, no, Thursday of this week. Thursday, the day after we come out, right? January 26th. They have to appear in court January 26th, 2023, to be arraigned on federal criminal charges over the deaths. The argument is this falls under the Crime Victims' Rights Act. It's uh, 18 U.S.C., uh, paragraph 3771, the Crime Victims' Rights and it says that a crime victim has 10 specific rights, 
And there's, I guess, maybe three of them here that seem to apply maybe one of the rights, which is the second in the list of 10, is the right to reasonable, accurate, and timely notice of any public court proceeding or any parole proceeding involving the crime or any release or escape of the accused. Well, that would apply, I guess, if they are crime victims. The second one, number three in the list, is the right not to be excluded from any such public court proceeding unless the court, after receiving clear and convincing evidence, determines that testimony by the victim would be materially altered if the victim heard other testimony at the proceeding. And then the other one is the right to be reasonably heard at any public proceeding in the district court involving release, plea, sentencing, or any parole proceeding. So if the families of the victims are crime victims, then this would seem to apply in the United States. I guess it all hinges on, are they victims? And I don't think they've been, they, I don't think families of victims of an aircraft accident have been considered victims themselves in the past. I think that's a new, I think, I think that's a new interpretation. Why don't we ask our legal counsel? Uh, who is that again? Um, <laughs> who, who wants to be legal counsel for the airplane geeks? We probably have somebody listening who's uh, qualified. Uh, and the the pay and the benefits are extraordinary. Yeah, we'll we'll match Rob Mark's salary, podcast airplane geek salary, with anybody who'd like to be our uh, legal. Yeah, no, I, I just thought this whole thing was kind of strange that it, it seemed to come out of left field to me. Um, but I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot about this, and uh, especially if it uh, proceeds. Well, we'll probably hear something this week that we can talk about next time. All right. So, uh, David, we've learned something interesting about the uh, runway incursion at JFK. We'd kind of speculate. Well, we we suggested that maybe you know human error was to blame here, or but there could be possibly other factors that. We weren't aware of that would be uncovered. And I don't know, maybe this is one that falls into that category. Yeah, this article from Forbes um, says that it was a junior first officer on the 777. And uh, they were in the process of going through some new procedures. And because of those new procedures, that's how they missed the incursion across the runway. And these uh, new procedures, they were just introduced January 2nd of this year. And this was the first time that first officer was executing those new procedures. And they require the first officer to make a takeoff announcement for the passengers and the flight attendants. But I I guess that the timing of the announcement is, is very precise. And... As it's described in this Forbes article, it sounds like this announcement takes priority over other things that the first officer might be doing. So as uh, one of the unnamed sources said, uh, quote, she has all this data to analyze and input, plus she has a new task on top of all that. She was overwhelmed. I, I'm sorry, but I realized there, were so, there are so many moving parts to this uh, near accident that I I think that uh, trying to pin it on a first officer uh, is is really very disingenuous. Uh, procedures that American put in place about making cabin announcements, I can't 
believe that any pilot would uh, say, okay, wait, we're, we're coming up on a runway here and we're supposed to go down and it's at night, but you handle it, Captain, you're driving. I've got to tell the people to uh, get the cabin ready because uh, we're getting ready to take off. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know where this came from. If it came from an American spokesman somewhere, um, but there are, again, there are just so many things that don't make any sense to me about this. And I listened to uh, the recording we're able to get, which is through Live ATC. And, of course, the first thing I listened for was uh, what the um, uh, what the ground controller, when, he, when the American aircraft called for taxi, uh, American, I don't know what it was, 10, 1095 heavy or whatever, uh, runway four left. And, and what I couldn't figure out was exactly, and because and, I was in a group last night too, and we were trying to discuss this, did anybody hear the, the first officer that was working or whoever it was that was working the radios, did you hear them read back, Roger, American, blah, 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 four left? Because I didn't. And, and so, see, that throws the whole thing up in the air because the ground controller, uh, and, and thank God the, the, the tower guy caught this because it's, it's a great thing. Um, it could have been really, really ugly. But, but the ground controller is required to, you know, American 1095 heavy, hold, hold your position. Please read back runway four left. And if the captain or the whoever's working the radios doesn't, they're supposed to stop them or do something to prevent them from getting out there and, and mixing with the other airplanes. Again, I, I didn't hear it. Maybe maybe it did come across, but um, uh, a, a number of other people said, well, maybe the aircraft needed 31 left. In fact, I never looked at that to see if one runway was longer than the other. Um but, you know, again, if if the captain or the crew decided they needed a longer runway and it was 31 left, then they should have said uh, ground. Uh, yeah, we need we can't use four left. We need 31 left. And they would have probably given them a similar route, but hold short of runway four left. And I didn't hear anything like that. And uh, another part of the uh, uh, we'll get to one second, Max. I just want to mention this one thing. Uh, there's another part that said uh, uh, the the crew had no idea that they'd been involved in a runway incursion until after they departed and got to London, which is insane because you could hear it right on the tape, or I'm sorry, right on the uh, uh, recording where uh, the ground controller says, hey, American, blah, 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 uh, possible pilot deviation. I've got a number for you to call. And, and then they said, okay, go ahead. And then they gave, you know, they cut out the phone number but uh so th that also doesn't make any sense uh why would you think you were involved in a pilot deviation but not i don't know so anyway max you had a point yeah i'll, I'll work backwards on a couple of things you said on on the last point yes i think it's quite clear that they were uh aware that they were involved in some incident i think forbes stated that uh, poorly perhaps what they meant was that the a departing American Airlines crew was unaware of the severity of the particular incident in which they had been involved. But clearly they knew something had gone wrong. 
Um, and then earlier you mentioned uh, the, the lack of a readback. I agree. Uh, everything I've read, and certainly when I listened, I did not hear the um, the pilot, whoever was on the radio with American Airlines, read back the runway assignment. And you're absolutely right. The controller did not do their job in forcing them to make that readback. I mean, that's just <laughs> basic airmanship 101. You know, we uh, unless we missed something, unless there's some part of the live ATC that was uh – uh, you know, recording that, and I, I understood last night. Uh, uh, Live ATC's website was down on uh, on Friday of uh, of not this last Friday, but the Friday before when this incident happened. So, is it possible something got screwed up and they did say this and we just didn't hear it? Sure, but again, there are there are probably a dozen items on a checklist of this could have been this way or that or that. Who knows? But it's up to the NTSB right now. Yeah, and the other aspect is that I had read somewhere that uh, somebody was saying that the Forbes article was essentially putting forth a, a union view of this, trying to, to some extent, uh, steer blame away from the uh, the pilots. Uh, there's an article on one mile at a time, which says that the union had actually raised issues in early January about these new cockpit uh, safety procedures, and they had put out a uh, an announcement from the union that essentially said. Uh, the American Airlines is attempting to circumvent robust safety-related pilot training by imposing operational changes via bulletin. So they were saying at the time that, hey, this is <laughs> there, there's a problem with this and that uh, people had not been properly trained on what these new procedures were. So I think to some extent in the article, they were trying to say, hey, look, the pilots are not to blame here or their, their blame is not as great as people may think that there are other contributing factors. And I think anytime we have an incident like this, there, there are going to be uh, deficiencies and gaps which are you know, noted everywhere. As you noted, the ground controller uh, didn't, you know, failed to get them to read back. Uh, they failed to read it back. Uh, the company has changed procedures. There's going to be plenty of blame to go around. These things are never just one, uh, you know, item that caused it. In most of these accidents, you always find three or more factors that led to it. All right, let's uh, press on. One last story, and this is from uh, Swapa the Southwest Airlines Pilot Association. And um, they've taken some action here, Rob. Well, the SWAPA, the Southwest Airlines Pilots Association, although many people might not have an awful lot of sympathy for them if they tried to travel at Christmas uh, because they're kind of hot at the pilots uh, and the flight attendants. But, you know, I, I don't believe, again, it's just like what we talked about with the runway incursion. It's never just one single failure that creates a, a, a disruption. Uh, but the SWAPA pilots have uh, asked for an authorization to take a strike vote of, uh, of, of their pilots. And uh, uh, that the results won't be known for uh, some months. And uh, what I thought was interesting is that the, uh, one of the responses from the uh, Southwest Airlines folks was that uh, now this is not necessarily this doesn't really indicate that the pilots are planning any kind of a job action really because it sounds like they're saying hey guys guess what we haven't had a contract in going on three years and we're taking the first steps possible towards a potential job action somewhere down the road we're giving you some real notice here but we're really serious about this and um 
so we'll uh, we'll have to see what happens. And I think that if the um, if the pilots' union can convince enough passengers that uh, maybe in May or something you might not necessarily want to be booked on Southwest uh, because uh, who knows what. Uh, all you got to do is put the fear of doubt into people. And uh, if this had been before Christmas people probably would never have said, oh, Southwest, they'll never do. Now they go, mm, Southwest, hey. Uh. So Southwest has a, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, what, what is it Ricky Ricardo used to say? Uh, You've got a lot of splaining to do because they have a reputation that has been practically destroyed, ruined, and, and they're going to have an awful lot of work ahead of them to, to try to build that back up. Well, there's some steps here, right? The the union has authorized a strike vote, right? Which means that the the membership uh, gets to vote um, starting May first as to whether or not they whether they want to do it. Whether they want to do it, is it that they whether they want to go, whether they are going to go on strike or they vote to go on strike if the union calls for it. Uh, it, it would be the set the, the latter. I mean, all they're asking for is that, hey, do you guys see enough uh, issues here that if we call a strike that you would go along with it? And if, you know, 79% of the people that respond say, uh-uh, we ain't going to go on strike. Well, then the whole thing is, is moot. But I don't think that's the result that we're going to see. All right, what's up with the geeks? So we talk about our Slack listener team. We've had that for, gosh, quite a few years now. And um, it, it's a great place. Along along the way, a number of people have suggested that we look at Discord, something called Discord, which has really been growing in popularity, I think. And so we set up a Discord server just to kind of take a look at it. And we've got a few folks... Um, in there, if we're just kind of checking it out and learning how it operates and all. I don't even know what you're talking about. I know. It's because you're too old, Rob. Ask your daughter. She'll explain it to you. Max, do we have to put up with this? Yes, it's in our contract. Oh, it's in our contract. But we're going on strike, so I mean. <laughs> okay. Okay, so 50% of us are going to go for a strike vote in early May, right? I guess so. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So what is a Discord server? It's like a forum. It's like a Slack. Is it like Mastodon? No, because Mastodon is more, you know, sort of messaging like Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, Slack and Discord has uh, more functionality, and it's more of a community. I, I would see Discord as maybe an alternative to like a Facebook page. Uh, perhaps, although some people might disagree with that. But anyway, just to you know, to make it short here, uh, if you want to try it out with us and you're in the Slack team, there's a link in the announcements channel in our Slack. Um, or you can just write us to the geeks at airplanegeeks.com and we'll, uh, you know, we'll send you where you need to go. But you do need a, a Discord account first, but that's, that's free. But if, if people are in the, uh, on the Slack team... Why would you want to send them away to the Discord group? If the Discord group is better, maybe we'll drop Slack and change to Discord. 
Well, what does Discord do that Slack doesn't? Why don't you try it? That's not much of an answer. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm just mentioning it. We're just this is just a sandbox, right? We're just now. We're now just we're playing. gonna now we now we're gonna join a sandbox. Yes. <laughs> Only if you want to. <laughs> oh dear. Bring your shovel and little pail. We're being. <laughs> Are we being treated as cats here? That's the trying to figure out because my cats have a sandbox. So. Yeah. <laughs> Max Trescott, what have you been doing lately? Well, I want to just follow up on the conversation that we just uh, finished up here with uh, Carol Dean, which was about men members of the organization. And so I, I was kind of wondering, how do, you, how do we help her figure out what you would call uh, male members of, of her organization? And I did a little searching online, couldn't find anything good. But then I remembered that this, you know, that this, the, the core of all knowledge is now contained in chat GPT. So I just went out and I said, what would you call a male who's a member of the Grand Dames? And it wrote back, it would be incorrect to call a male a Grand Dame or Grand Dame, as the term Grand Dame refers to a senior woman of high social standing or a woman of distinction in a particular field. It would be more appropriate to refer to a male member of a group or organization as a gentleman or member. So there you go. Now we, <laughs> now we have an answer for her. Yeah, that's good. Yep. And uh, I also wanted to mention uh, Aviation News Talk episode uh, 260, the current one that is out there. We had a rather distinguished guest on uh, for this latest episode, um, and that is Mr. Rob Mark, who was on the show for the first time in many, many months. Uh, but was. we had you were you were you were all there. We had uh, a listener question talking about when it might make sense to attempt the impossible turn, which is what the FAA refers to as turning back to the airport if you have an engine failure shortly after takeoff. And there's just a lot of, I would say, controversy in the industry as to whether you should or you shouldn't and under what circumstances you should or you shouldn't. So Rob and I thoroughly rang out that topic, and I want to thank him for joining me. And if you haven't heard that episode, check it out at Aviation News Talk. I did listen to it, even though Rob was, uh, you know, your 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 guest. But um, it, it actually was very interesting. I, I I actually understood pretty much all of it too, which was uh, which was pretty good. So yeah, very clear. The reason it was so interesting was because Rob was there. That's why it was so interesting. Um, but it was it was an interesting topic because I I don't know I I've, I've seen too many accidents where people now have taken on the challenge of. I'm preparing myself that if the engine quits and I'm at this altitude, this key point, I know I can try it, uh, try to make it back. Do you try to land straight ahead or 30 degrees one side or another of the run? Uh, did I just do that? I'm sorry. Yeah, don't touch your mic when you're stalking. Uh, or 30 degrees one side of the uh, uh, departure heading or not. Uh, straight ahead into a field, into whatever, or do I try and turn the airplane around and get it back down on the runway? You have to have all the conditions be just right on the day that it occurs. And do you remember all the stuff that you went through? And I'm, I'm still of the belief that, you know, just land the friggin' airplane straight ahead. Push the cyclic down, push the nose down, and then auto-rotate land. That's what you do. Actually, I think you usually pull back on the cyclic when you auto-rotate. You get a little trouble going going forward on it. 
Hey, wasn't that something you talked about, Max, that you were thinking about uh, taking helicopter uh, flight training? I've been doing a lot of reading about it, so who knows? Might do it. Oh. Good for you. Would you do it in a gyrocopter? Maybe someday. Oh. I mean, the challenge is there, there are not too many places in the U.S. where you can rent gyrocopters and take gyrocopter uh, lessons. Uh, so, you know, helicopters, you know, so the most popular thing, airplanes, you can rent them everywhere. Helicopters, less so. Gyroplanes, even less so. I know where you can rent them in Maryland. Okay. And get instruction. Well, put in a plug. Where, what's a gyrocopter place in Maryland? Well, I don't remember the name of it, but it's about 20, 20 or 30, 20 minute drive from my mother's place. I see them flying overhead all the time. Hmm. I should probably stop over there, go for a ride. The didgeridoo means it's time for the Australia News Desk. Here's two of the craziest guys we could find south of the equator. It's Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran from the Plain Crazy Down Under podcast. Dateline, 22nd of January, 2023. Well, good day, folks, and welcome to the Australia Desk for this week's episode number 734. Well, Grant, I thought before we kick things off this week and talk about all things uh, aviation in this part of the world, uh, listening in last week to Rob was just trying to do a bit of a timeline of, of how long we've been involved in this show and Keeping in mind, of course, that uh, there have been listeners come and go to the show, and <laughs> Airplane Geeks have done so many episodes now. So, I know, uh, right? Yeah. So um, anyway, Grant, um, our history, of course, extends way back to 2009 to about uh, episodes in the low 40s, in fact. Yeah, that's right, mate. It was a very long time ago. Play the Wayback Machine. <laughs> and in the 45s to 48s area, we were sending in emails around 48 to 50, 49 to 50. You were starting to record some audio. 51, I recorded some audio as well. But it was 52, episode 52, way back in June 2009, when you first heard this. And now with aviation news from the only country that can call itself a continent, Here's Steve Vischer with the Australia News Desk. Dateline Melbourne, June 14th, 2009. G'day folks, I'm Steve Vischer at the Australia Desk and with me is Grant. G'day Grant. Hey Steve, how you doing mate? We're very good here and we've uh, survived another weekend and uh, we've got a number of stories here this week that we found interesting so uh, let's get stuck into it. Sounds good to me. Good Lord, Grant, did you hear that terrible editing? I must have been using something quaint like Audacity back then. Oh, you very probably were, but, you know, that was back when we were thinner, had more hair, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, more it's time. De- it's definitely thinner. I'm a lot younger too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't go there, mate. Oh, yeah. Get off my lawn. I'll hit you with my white stick and set my dog on you. And as, of course, you heard in that intro, uh, it was originally just my name, that uh, Courtney Miller, actually, one of the original, in fact, the original host of this show, uh, <laughs> but put on there. And I actually emailed him straight after and said, actually, uh, me and this fella, Grant, uh, we are going to start doing this together if you could just include his name. And that's where the intro that you hear every time uh, Max plays uh, this segment in, uh, that's where that comes from. So um, it, it goes back a lot of years now. Oh, very, very. But, uh, you know, it's been a lot of years. It's been probably 280 to 300 Ausdesk episodes. We'll uh, we'll know for sure once I finish loading all the Ausdesk uh, episodes onto australiadesk.net. Um, we've got something like 250 already loaded, guys, plus a few pre's and a few specials. Australiadesk.net. Go check it out if you want to do a walk back in time and hear how warped we were. But uh, in all that time, mate, I've had to say what I'm about to say now very few times. Ah, that must bring us to our first article on Bonza. <laughs> oh, 
Yeah. What more can I say? But last episode, last Oz Death segment, last last week, I was r- I was raw. Come on, buddy, you can say it. I was. Uh, I may or may not have been one hundred percent correct. <laughs> okay, and that of course pertains to the clip from the travel agent that we played in last week's show, where we uh, she was talking about um, travel agents being cut out in Sydney, of course, uh, out of the Bonza network, or, or griping about the fact that Bonza aren't flying in there and Into uh, Sydney. Had, yeah, yeah, and I had mentioned, of course, that uh, Bonza aren't using travel agents, but it actually turns out that they are. It's just that the travel agents in Sydney are unhappy because that airline, as I mentioned, is not going in there. I know, and. Like, instead of correcting you, I got even further up on my soapbox from which I parachuted off, but I was incorrect. Yeah, I was right. Okay, so I shouldn't have said that Bonza weren't using travel agents. They they are using travel agents. They sorted all that out back, I think it was in October last year. My bad, mea culpa, terribly sorry, count it all on less than two hands. Okay, now we don't want to sound like fanboys for Bonza because we have covered them quite extensively the last couple of weeks. But Grant, just briefly, they have announced uh, their first flight. Yeah, that's right, buddy. And uh, they are actually going to be flying from the Sunshine Coast up to the Whit Sundays. So that's their first flight that they're launching, and that's going from uh, just north of Brisbane in Queensland to even further north in, in Queensland. But that's not unexpected because Queensland. You know, there's a lot of kilometres or miles or even furlongs, depending on which country you're in, between uh, the Sunshine Coast Airport and Proserpine. Uh, I invite you guys to pull out Google Maps and look for Sunshine Coast and also look for Proserpine. It is a beautiful part of the world. It is a beautiful part of the world. Totally. I'm looking forward to the Melbourne to Proserpine flights. I want to go up there. Now, Grant, while we're talking about that part of the world, there's been some military news. Might just skip over that quickly before we go to, well, something that's actually been making news this week. (laughs) Well, I was hoping the military would avoid going to that other topic, but on the military front, yes, Australian troops are deploying to the UK to train Ukraine forces. Mm. Pretty cool. Okay, fine. Moving on. (laughs) Yep. Um, We've finally signed on the dotted line to say that we're getting 40 UH-60 mics, the uh, UH-60Ms. We're going to get 40 of them for our um, Army helicopter crews. They're dumping the uh, NH-90 Taipan. And if you're wondering and, and you're thinking back now, hey, you guys covered that last year. Well, last year it was basically an expression of interest and um, the news this mm. week in an, in an official actually uh, press release from Defence is saying that that's uh, now been firmed up and it will be going ahead. So that's good news. That's right. They've signed in blood on the dotted line and we're actually going to get those aircraft. And, yeah, we are joining many of the other countries that just aren't quite making the NH-90 work, uh, spares, access, and a number of other things. Whereas the Kiwis, once again, just like with the, the uh, Sea Sprite, their NH-90s are working fine. Go figure, we'll move on. But getting back to the airlines, you know, we don't... Oh, no, 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 that's it, that's it. We're running out of time. We've got to finish. No, no, no. There's been something else <sighs> going on. Well, Grant, lots of other... Lots of other small somethings that, well, the media has yeah. been in an absolute frenzy about this week. And, of course, we're talking about our friends at the, the big flag carrier here, Qantas. Well, they've had better weeks media-wise. Yeah, the flying roo. Uh, yeah, sorry, guys, we're going back to Qantas. It's been a few episodes, but here we are, back with Qantas. It all first started when a 737 flying Auckland to Sydney had to shut down an engine across the Pacific, and it was a May Day initially. They, of course, lost altitude, lost speed, but then they realised, no, nah, we can make this, so it turned from a May Day to a Pan Pan, and they were able to land in Sydney about 20 minutes late. Uh, of course, there was the classic... 
mainstream media fail of a photo of said 737 landing with its right-hand engine. Of course, it was the left hand that had problems and had to be shut down, but the right-hand engine throwing out the thrust reverses and the Herald Sun... Shock horror. I know, right? The Herald Scum, as it's also known, posted a photo of the thrust reverses in action and said, oh, look, broken engine. Hello, lamestream media. No wonder we give you Blowmaster Awards multiple times every year. Yes, yes, yes. And we can look back at the history of the Blowmaster Awards some other time if you like. But Yes, we did cause that. But anyhow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, we've had uh, multiple incidents for Qantas this week where they've had to turn back. One on the way to Fiji uh, had a mechanical issue, came back. Another one had an engine vibration issue going from Melbourne to Sydney, came back. And there was also a Boeing 717 that had a flaps problem and uh, called problem at 10,000 feet, tried to fix it, couldn't fix it, came back and landed. So I suspect flap retraction wasn't e- was either imbalanced or just wasn't happening. Obviously, um, the media has seized on this this week, and, of course, they love to kick quarters whenever they can. Um, mm-hmm. Their chief executive for domestic, Andrew Davis, said mechanical issues were common across the complicated industry and it was important to look at these individual faults in context. You know what, um, I don't always support a lot of things that Qantas Management says, but I'm kind of with Andrew David on this one. I mean, uh, it, it seems to me that you know, some of these things probably wouldn't have even made the news. The flap issue on the 717 that you mentioned there, Grant, for example, you know, that probably wouldn't have even made the news except to say that, of course, we've had one or two this week and that's just seems to be making the news. And, of course, mm-hmm. the poor old passengers are getting down on the ground. In fact, in the case of the one where the uh, the 7-3 had the engine shut down, well, the passengers didn't even know. They weren't actually actually <laughs> informed. The, the crew made the decision not to even mention it to them for the sake of keeping everybody um, calm until they got back on the ground. So when uh, hysterical media crews turn up and interview their passengers, they hear people saying praiseworthy things of Qantas like this. Brilliant. We want to know. If they haven't told us, we want to know. We heard a large bang. Nobody seemed to be too worried. Um, Qantas did a great job. It just went quiet. Everybody was well behaved. Everybody did what they had to do. The pilot was marvellous. And so there you go. You can see that was probably a little bit disappointing for the people from uh, (laughs) Nine News there. I'm sure they wanted someone to... Really slam Qantas, but uh, I mean, yeah. There what you can go. you say? It's like horrific. You've got the passengers going, "Oh, it was all normal. We didn't know," and you've got us agreeing with management. I mean, all this and the trifecta. I was. <laughs> I was Don't inc- be too hard on yourself, was, buddy. Uh, but you got all three things happening. <laughs> Look, I suppose, you know, we don't want to completely write this off as a non-issue. Of course, they need to work out, is this something systemic that's going on within Qantas maintenance? It may be. It may turn out to be something like that. It may just be a case of uh, just really bad coincidental timing. I Actually, Grant and I have been talking about this during the week, and I sort of said if we have two more of these – and, and don't send me any hate mail, I'm just throwing this theory out. Was it something to do, was there some sort of industrial issue coming along because we've seen this sort of stuff happen across all sorts of industries, not just in aviation, in the past? There's been no announcement made by any of the unions about this, so you'd have to say no. That's you know, You'd think they would be really uh, beating some sort of specific drum had that been the case, and we certainly haven't seen really any claims of that in the media this week. So... Let's hope that Qantas uh, lifts their game and has a better week so that we uh, don't have to talk about them next week so much. Well, that's everything we have for you on this week's Australia Desk. I should just mention one more thing, Grant, before we go, though. Uh, Rob also mentioned Oshkosh and which years we were there. Well, the year that uh, we all met up together um, was 2011. I think David uh, pointed mm-hmm. that out. Yep, he um, got I've, that correct. And I've also been in 2017, and Grant, you've been as well another subsequent year. In 2019, yep. 
and it's just an amazing thing. And I, I have, you know, well, we both have some really great memories of meeting up with all the Airplane Geeks crew, uh, including Dan Webb. <laughs> Remember him? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and squeezing into Rob's clown car, a.k.a. the Mini. Oh, yeah, you in the front, me in the back. Oh, boy, did I need a chiropractor's appointment after that. <laughs> and we should we should just point out here too that, you know, at least in my case, I can say that I've met all of the Airplane Geeks crew in person. I've even met Bernay Wilson. I've met uh, I've even uh, met Courtney Miller and had lunch with him one time down there in uh, in Dallas. But the only person I've not met in person is Max Flight, the man of international podcast mystery, Grant. I know, right? Um, I'm hearing rumours he may be, may be at Oshkosh this year, so I better get back onto my uh, famous plan of world domination through lottery win and uh, keep playing and seeing if I can finally get some real return on the money <laughs> I'm throwing into the lottery. Oh, there you go. Good luck, and I hope you uh, spread some of that cheer around when you win it, mate. Until next week, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. Cheers, folks. <laughs> Great job, guys. Steve was, uh, I remember when he sat in the front seat of my car and and uh, I looked at his ample frame and uh, <laughs> how he was pressed against the door and the dashboard. And uh, I said, uh, Grant, maybe you could move over a little bit because we need to let Steve slide the seat back. And Steve looked at me and he said, I already have the seat back. And I said, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I, I miss their didgeridoo. I think they should they should return the didgeridoo uh, to the opening of their of their show. We can do that. But we can't do it. They'd have to do it. No. Max does that. You edit the didgeridoo? Of course. Or we could just do Frank Sinatra. Scooby Doo. I, I didn't know that. See, and all this time, I thought maybe Grant was playing the didgeridoo for that. Um... I doubt he's able to do that. That takes some skill, I understand, but maybe they can do that. Oh, know. so you've been playing it all along. Is that right? Hey, Brian Coleman uh, attended the Seattle Aerospace Barbecue this year, and he recorded some uh, interesting interviews. Now, those are with Alec, uh, Isaac Alexander uh, from Hype Aviation, of course, and uh, the, the man behind the Seattle Aerospace Barbecue. Uh, but Brian also talked with Robin Koning, the founder of Hype Aviation. Also, Nick Benson from JetTip.net. And also a uh, plane spotter, a plane and train spotter named Dave Honan. And... Uh, those four interviews were just played on the most recent episode of The Journey is the Reward. So uh, many of you listen to that uh, podcast, but some of you don't. So what we're going to do is we're going to put those interviews at the end of this podcast. So we're going to continue on and, and wrap it up, finish up. And then if you haven't heard them on The Journey is the Reward, then you can stick around and listen to them here. So we'll just uh, jump right to some listener mail. And we heard from Zach, our winner in the safety cards giveaway. He wrote to say, I just received the safety cards from the giveaway today. And I must say, I am simply blown away by the amount and variety of safety cards the interaction group put in this box. Just wanted to give my thanks to you and the interaction group again for doing this giveaway. 
and he included a list of, uh, yeah, he included a list of the cards in the box from the giveaway. Uh, and really, it's a really impressive list. And uh, it go, I'm not going to read all of these, but it goes on and on. Some of them are, are interesting. The, the original safety card artwork for the Braniff A320, uh, some uh, Spirit WestJet uh, Breeze safety cards. Uh, how about this? A Royal Australian Air Force 737-700 safety car, card. And uh, there's a Falcon Jet safety card in there. Uh U.S. Air Force C-40 card in there and uh, some other items as well. So um, Zach is really happy. We're, we're glad that uh, Zach received such a generous giveaway prize from the Interaction Group, and we thank them. Uh, we also heard from uh, Patrick, uh, who sent a, a, a link to an article, uh, Zero Avia successfully completes world's, uh, let's see, successfully completes first flight of world's largest hydrogen electric plane. This is in electric.co. And he says, uh, well, I'm not completely on board with hydrogen news. Items like this uh, do have me giving hydrogen at least a second look. And uh, hydrogen is always, we've talked about hydrogen fuel uh, many, many times and whether or not you know, are, are we ready for it? Uh, how do we produce hydrogen fuel in in volumes uh, sufficient to uh, to power a significant portion of the fleet? Things like that. So this is a, an article concerning one company's progress on that front. Patrick also said, thanks for talking about the Air Traffic Out of Control podcast. He said, I agree that some of the audio quality is subpar, but interesting nonetheless. So he's subscribed to the podcast, and he said also uh, really like the one on the recent NOTAM snafu. That from Patrick. Oh, you got to mention the P.S. at the bottom. I'll explain it. Oh, that's right. Patrick says, P.S. Max T., it's all your fault that I have the song You Can Always Go Around stuck in my head. You played that on your show. Yes. So in episode 259, which was all of two weeks ago, we had on Ken Dravis, who is the singing pilot who sung that song that's gotten very popular on YouTube. And it is quite an earworm. Uh, once you hear the song, it does kind of stick in your head. And it's a good thing because at Aviation News Talk, we're focused on safety and remembering that you can always go around if the landing is not working out is a pretty important uh, basic uh, tenet of uh, safety. And if that gets stuck, at your, stuck in your head, good. It's a good thing. Yeah. Anyway, it's a fun song. I love it. And I'm now starting to use it as the, uh, out, the exit outro music for the podcast. Very good. It's an earworm. Yeah. Yeah. Earworms, Discord. Ask your daughter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what an earworm is, Rob? That's a song you have stuck in your head and you can't get it out. And you end up singing it to yourself over and over and over all day long. That's mm. called an earworm. That's what Which is kind of a disgusting sounding term for it. That, that's what Q-tips are for. What do we call the voices in Rob's head? That's what I want to know. That's what Nancy they're, wants to know. You need to ask talking, Nancy. They're talking to me now. <laughs> you won't like that's, what they're that's saying. That's us talking to you now. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks for listening to the Airplane Geeks podcast. We want to thank our guest this episode, Carol Dean. She's founder and chairman of the board for the Grand Dames of Aviation. And you can find that website at granddamesofaviation.org. Uh, you can find us at airplanegeeks.com, of course. 
there's show notes there, but if you want to go straight to the show notes for this episode, that's airplanegeeks.com slash 734. It's the episode number. And you can always reach us via email at thegeeks at airplanegeeks.com. All right, Max Trescott, anything closing? Sure. If you are interested in general aviation aircraft, and that would be everything that's not an airliner and not a, um, a civil aircraft, military aircraft, we talk about all that other stuff on Aviation News Talk. So check it out wherever you get your podcast. If you want to send me an email, go to aviationnewstalk.com. Click on contact at the top of the page. All right. And who's next? Rob Mark, how about you? Uh all the usual places at uh, uh, the uh, Aviation Week group. You'll find me on Business and Commercial Aviation somewhere or at uh, jetwine.com or uh, maybe once in a while on uh, uh, what's his name's show? Uh, you know, the uh, the other Max, uh, uh, the, the cute one. <laughs> Trescott. Oh, oh, payback. <laughs> oh, so what you're supposed to say is, how can you tell which guy is cute? I have no friggin' idea. I'm a guy. I don't know what they're talking about. Anyway, uh, but no, all the usual spots and uh, always happy to be here every week. And how about you, David Vanderhoof? Well, if you are in the area of Philadelphia, you can always visit me at the American Helicopter Museum. Um, a shout out to my various listeners who have been coming in and a few who are active members, they know who they are and they know they've been listening a lot. So it was funny having someone show up and spending the afternoon talking about this week, that week, last week's episode for over an hour. Um, so that was, that was kind of fun. Um, but of course you can also find me on our Slack lister team. And if you want to go to our discourse discourse team you can go to our slack listener team and of course you can always find max and i on friday mornings on that other show talking about um uncrewed aerospace or the uav digest but look hopefully that you guys don't drone on about it uh... every week we do oh god so please join us next week as we talk aviation on the airplane geeks podcast bye everybody you can always go around. Nighty night. Thanks for listening. Now we have the four interviews that Brian Coleman recorded at the Seattle Aerospace Barbecue this past January. And as I mentioned, these were part of the most recent podcast episode of The Journey is the Reward. So if uh, you heard it there, you won't need to listen to it here. Brian speaks with Isaac Alexander, of course, one of the guys in Hype Aviation, and also the organizer of the Seattle Aerospace Barbecue. Brian also talks with Robin Koenig, who is the founder of Hype Aviation. That's very uh, interesting. And also he talks with Nick Benson of JetTip.net. Of course, JetTip is a smart flight alert service for aviation enthusiasts. And then finally, Brian speaks with Dave Honan. He's a plane and train spotter. He's a photographer living in the Seattle area, and he's got a real passion for this kind of photography. So uh, let's let that roll and enjoy. 
I'm here with Isaac Alexander of Hype Aviation and the Seattle Aerospace Barbecue. Yes. Isaac, welcome back to Airplane Geeks. Happy to be here, Brian, and happy to see you up in Seattle again. It's been uh, since 2016 since I last saw you up here for the uh, the Boeing Centennial that took place later, uh, that year, as well as Aviation Geek Fest. And with Max. Yeah, and with yeah, Max well, Flight Max and stuff who was on here. So Max and stuff uh, who came back and stuff. I cut, you know, you came back in 2019, we had a fun adventure and stuff uh, across the Pacific Northwest with Aviation stuff. But uh, it's good to see you back up here, though. Yeah, we've had a fun day here at the Museum of Flight, looking at all the aircraft. And we're right now in front of the Big Red Barn. Absolutely. Where it all started, huh? Where it all started, indeed. Uh, this, you know, this is one of the largest aviation artifacts that's not a muse- uh, that's not an aircraft, actually. is the Red Barn, where uh, Boeing built some of its first uh, uh, Boeing XB-1 uh, seaplane aircraft well over 100 years ago now. So it's hard to believe that, that we have an you know, aircraft manufacturer that's been, along that, been around that long. Yeah, and I was talking with one of the docents earlier who said that he bought the Red Barn and the property for $10. Yes, uh, the Port of Seattle made a good deal and stuff because they wanted to use that land for other purposes. I forget what it's exactly now. And uh, in the early 80s, they, they picked up the Red Barn, put it on a big barge and barged it up the uh, local river here and then uh, brought it off and then placed it next to the airport. Uh, I want to say 1982 or three and stuff. For mm-hmm. that. And it's been here ever since. Beautiful facility. Lots of great aircraft Absolutely. here. Absolutely. So lots of fun, and uh, the new addition is having the pavilion or the outdoor exhibits actually covered, which is really nice in the rain. Yes, so I can just say is that the last two aircraft that have gotten painted now, since they've kind of been uh, uncovered and stuff for the longest time, but the uh, aviation pavilion opened in conjunction with the, uh, the Boeing Centennial back in 2016, and they have gone through now. The uh, 737 is the latest aircraft that was just got a new paint job actually this summer, so it updated its NASA livery, which it served as a NASA aircraft testing aircraft for a very long time and then it was stored over in moses lake for over a decade before they brought it back here to be part of the collection but the Concorde also the year beforehand also got a paint job as well, which it desperately needed. Uh, both that 737 and the uh, and the Concorde hadn't been painted since the mid 90s, so they desperately needed it as as they were exposed out to the elements for a long time. But uh, everything else in there, all the other commercial aircraft has been painted, and it looks fantastic there. And that that facility was sorely needed. And I'm so glad it's there. Yeah, absolutely, it's really nice. But we're not here to talk about the Museum of Flight. We're here to talk about the barbecue dinner tonight. Absolutely, and stuff. So. Uh, I started this back in 2019 as type of event uh, to give back to the aerospace community, which has been so very good to me, actually, this past decade uh, for things. So basically, we show up at a, uh, a barbecue restaurant named Jack's Barbecue. Show up at 6 o'clock, you get your badge, meet up with other people that are very passionate both about aviation and space sit down uh, about 40 minutes in then we'll start a uh, trivia contest so each table of, of roughly around eight uh, nine people and stuff it becomes its own team and i ask 10 questions of aviation defensive space with multiple correct answers like from two correct answers all the way up to 10 basically i do that so there's no ties i run the trivia contest then we turn it in and whoever wins it gets a bag full of prizes that hopefully is peacefully dispersed among the winning table and stuff so no body dismemberments please all right so and then after that then we run a raffle with uh, basically t-shirts various paraphernalia both aviation and space t-shirts models the grand prize uh, for last year and this year has been a uh, two round trip tickets to anywhere alaska airlines flies is the winner of that and uh, yeah so i'm very happy and thankful that uh, alaska airlines uh, supports the event we have some really really stellar gifts and stuff for it so i'm really really happy for it for me i decided to chose to give up my i'm giving up an an124 model 
you know, a good foot long model as well as an ATR 62 model. The reason why I love my cats and my cats are very destructive, but I don't. And, and, and models have been in a room away from the cat, so they're not seen. And I would rather them find a new home where they're actually seen and appreciated by fellow aviation people. So that's why I'm donating uh, personally my, my two models and stuff for it. So, very cool. Uh, some other people and stuff are there uh, donating as well. And you're wondering why in the heck would anybody travel uh, in January to Seattle? Uh, as you know, today and stuff, yeah. You know, Seattle is picture perfect today and stuff with the gloomy clouds and, and the dreary weather and stuff for it. You're coming for yeah, the people. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering that as well <laughs> with all the rain that we've had today. So, yeah, why did I come to Seattle in January? But the I, reason is. I choose instead to do the January event because there's no other real competition for events at this time. I wanted to fill everybody with positiveness about what's coming down the road in aerospace for 2023. I want the people to be excited. We are not out of the pandemic yet. I want to make that clear. However, we are slowly coming out of it, and I want to embrace the positiveness of what uh, what aerospace can bring. So that's mm -hmm. why I hold this event, to get everybody charged up and happy about the year ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely looking forward to it and seeing everyone there. And yep. it'll be a fun, fun event. Real quickly... Because I know you have to go and do setup and all for the event tonight with Hype Aviation. Anything new, exciting going uh, on? My partner and stuff are, have been able to f physically meet actually for the first, uh, second time, only the second time actually earlier today. I picked him up from a hotel at the airport. We actually went to a, a local Seattle news site and actually got a good half hour interview that was done with us oh, nice. stuff, that will play later this month on it so um, we're hoping this stuff will have a big traffic bump like we did with the airplane geeks podcast that we had in october uh to continue the growth no new product announcements other than that yeah we did our year uh we did a year-end year-end review type of thing what was the top stories each month of the year so you can kind of go through the uh, mm -hmm. it shows three stories per month of what was the by traffic, what was the top news stories globally in uh, aviation, defense, or space each month and stuff? And it's, you know, for me, it's kind of fascinating to see what was some of the bigger stuff that, you know, I, I don't like to lament on bad news, but I completely forgot about that the the China 737 that that crashed uh, last year. And I thought that was in 2021. Nope, it was in 2022. So, I mean, <laughs> so is this a static page or how would people go find that list of news stories and review? There was a strip across the top of it saying to link to our blog. So you just go to Hype Aviation. Dot com and then then you look for the pink strip across the top of the blog and that would have it okay well great isaac thank you so much for spending some time with me and absolutely looking forward to the barbecue tonight and we're happy to have you so brian uh for the airplane geese uh, yeah uh brian you are the second person here because uh rob mark and stuff actually came out to the 2020 event so i'm happy to stuff to have more of you and stuff come out so thank you yes because that's west coasters of the airplane geese so we need to get trescott and stuff needs to get his butt up exactly so. yeah <laughs> Thanks, yeah come on max you're next on the list <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you very much again, Brian. It's a pleasure always to chat with you. I'm here with Robin, the founder of Hype Aviation at the Seattle Aerospace Barbecue. Robin, welcome to the Airplane Geeks podcast. Thanks for having me. Hi. I'm curious, just we've had Isaac on the show before, so I think our listeners know about the site and certainly hopefully his recording will be on the same show that you're on. But having the founder, what inspired you to found the website? <laughs> Very good question. What inspired me is that I needed a website like this and I couldn't find one. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a very short summary. Um, so I, for a long, long time, for several years, I've been looking for a website that allows me to follow all the news without having to track hundreds of news sources. Uh, because I have a full-time day job and I don't have the time to keep track of everything that's happening all day. I just want to have one page that gives me everything that I need to know right now in aviation. 
and there was nothing out there. So uh, at some point, like a couple of years ago, I decided to start working on the solution myself. You just said, I need to build it, so you build it. And quite honestly, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about the site. Being a news aggregation site, you're providing all the top stories that I'm actually interested in. It makes it so much easier finding the news that I care about. It's great to hear that you like it. So what are the plans for, because you're really at version, would you say 2.5 at this point, 3.0? 2.5 is generous. I would say it's more like zero point something, but um, it's still very early. And uh, there's a lot of potential for well, both growth, but also expanding the feature set. The key features of the website, which is aggregating news and surfacing the most important stories at the time, we're pretty good at, with that right now. Um, but I think what we're going to be working on this year is organizing news, making it easier for you to follow news on a specific topic that you're interested in, right? Right now there's, yes, you will see the most important stories of the day on the front page, but what if you're interested in a particular topic? Like, what if you're interested in the development of the 777X, for example, right? And you just want to see all the news on that particular topic. That's very difficult today. Right. Um, and we are currently working on a solution for that. That makes it much, much easier for you to follow the specific topics that you are interested in. Yeah, and I can see where people in the industry, let's say if you're a Boeing engineer working on the 777X, you would want to know all of the news about that particular product. Exactly. And there are plenty of other examples, right? There could be like a topic, I don't know, uh, some event, I don't know, some, an air show is happening right now, right? And there are a lot of, okay. a lot of updates uh, that are happening in that week. And having like one page that assembles all the news that are relevant to this event could be very, very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I could see that as well. Since you started this website, you had to have an interest in aviation to begin with. What started your interest in aviation? Oh, um, I mean, I've always been interested in aviation. Uh, it's all, like since I was a little kid, I was excited about it. Just probably like you and many other, all of your listeners probably. Exactly. It's always been something that I was excited about. Professionally, it's not the area that I ended up getting a job in. I was doing something else. However, like when I went to school, like I had the opportunity to work with Airbus for a while and uh, work on with Airbus Defense and Space on their ground systems uh, software for the ISS module. So that was exciting. Uh, and besides that, I actually haven't been doing anything in the field of aviation professionally, unfortunately. I started my pilot's license. Okay. Not done yet. Here, here in the States, you're from uh, Hanover, Germany. So I, did, you, did you fly in, in Hanover, in Germany, or no. all here in the U.S.? I started working my pilot's license in California, in okay. San Jose. Yeah. yeah. So then Max Trescott, who's one of the co-hosts of the Airplane Geeks podcast, he's, uh, well, he's, I think, 2008 CFI of the Year, and he is an expert in Cirrus aircraft. So if you want to fly with the Cirrus... You need to get in contact with Max. I would love to. I just can't afford it. That's my problem. <laughs> the training pilot's dilemma. It's either time or money. You don't have both at the same time. Especially with a Cirrus. It's unfortunately even more expensive than with a, I don't know, 172 or something. Yep. Where should people go to learn more about Hype Aviation? Well, hypeaviation.com. And we, we are on Twitter with at Hype Aviation. We just um, started a Mastodon account okay. for people to follow us there. Uh, we are on LinkedIn, all the usual social media networks, but hypeaviation.com is the place to go. If listeners have any feedback for you, 
I'm assuming you would love to hear feedback. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's actually very important for us. So basically, I built the site that I wanted to have for myself. And I'm pretty happy with it, but I don't know what our readers want, right? Like, and you probably have a very different idea of what the perfect aviation news aggregator looks like. And all of the readers have a different idea. And I would actually love to get that input and get some feedback on ideas how we can improve the site so please reach out to me on on twitter uh, send us an email you can find our contact details on the website i would be very very happy for any feedback i can get perfect robin thank you so much for being on the show thanks for having me i'm now here with nick of jet tip nick welcome to the airplane geeks podcast thank you long time listener first time interviewee so that's very good oh actually no that's not true a long time listener and uh have been on the show before. Yeah, because I thought we interviewed or did a brief segment about you. Yeah, we had some airplanes flying over. I think we were at Spot LAX or Dork Fest. Yeah. That's, yep. And I can see Isaac nodding emphatically in the background. So, yes, that's definitely correct. So you guys have a website where you will notify people of unusual aircraft, or I guess every aircraft coming in, but you sort of specialize in notifying people of unusual aircraft. Is that... Yeah, that's pretty much correct. Yeah, JetTip is a smart flight alert service that's aimed at aviation enthusiasts. And there's kind of two parts of it. The first part is the alert service where you can get an email or a notification to your phone through our app that'll tell you when an unusual airplane is coming to your airport. And that's determined on an airport-by-airport basis. It runs an analysis. It's kind of like an AvGeek artificial intelligence. It'll look at each airplane that's coming and kind of give a determination of if it's interesting from an aviation enthusiast perspective or not. And if it is, it'll send you an alert. So it's a very cool way to stay looped in with the interesting airplanes that are coming and going from your airport without having to spend all of the time going through an arrival departure board. Right. So one of the things that I think of with an interesting aircraft is, of course, the livery. But it could be just an aircraft that is not commonly seen at that airport, correct? Absolutely. So, yeah, the special liveries are what make a lot of... I got into all of this through photography, so special liveries are very exciting to me. JetTip will, the alerts will also pick up on things like equipment swaps and things like that. So if your usual flight that comes in on a United 737 is coming to your airport and today it's an A321, um, you'd get an alert for that, you, you know, assuming the United 321s are unusual at your airport. And it's also useful for things like the Antonov 124s. Everyone likes seeing those. Yeah, different cargo charters. Um, a lot of the sports charters will come in on the smaller, like iAero and some of the other smaller charter airlines that you wouldn't normally get to see. Mm-hmm. So those are all good examples of uh, things that are coming and going. What's one of the most unusual aircraft that you've seen? The first time that I ever went watching airplanes, I got to see the Antonov 225 landing. I was just talking with my friend, and he kind of said that was kind of one of his white whale aircraft to see, you know. So I got I got a very good start. That's about, you know, better than most people could ever... Uh, yeah, that's, right. that, of course, was the um, the big cargo aircraft that was designed to carry the, the Soviet Union's version of the space shuttle, the Buran, carry that around and support their space program. Big six-engine cargo jet. I've done, fan, I've done road trips where we've gone out to see the NASA ER-2, which is the, um, you know, their, the U-2 airplane that they use for atmospheric research. Okay. I've been very lucky to get to travel around and see a lot of cool stuff. I think those are some of the highlights. Uh, Sophia was cool also that's the 747 that had a telescope yep. for some reason put in the back of it 
Well, and it's yeah. a 747 SP, which is unusual in and of itself. Oh, yeah, everything about it is ridiculous and cool and doesn't make any sense, but it was a real thing. Yeah, a telescope mounted in the back of a 747 SP. It's very cool. I may or may not have pulled the kids out of school for a, a field trip to see <laughs> that. So that was, that was a fun memory, too. Yeah, I've been doing the jet tip thing uh, for five years now. It's my full-time job now, and I've been very lucky to use that as an excuse to see lots of cool airplanes. I'm very fortunate that way. Yeah, no, it's really nice when you could tie a, a hobby into a profession or a profession into a hobby. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so far, so good. And then is it a service only available for the U.S. or are you doing global? It's available in the United States and Canada right now. The problem is expanding it any bigger, you know, all of that data, I have to buy all of that data from the nice people at FlightAware, you know. Um, so I'm utilizing their data service. I hope to have formal announcements on coverage in more areas, uh, especially in other countries where people speak English. Hopefully sooner than later, but uh, we'll see. But U.S. and Canada for now. Okay. Are there any other new features coming up that the listeners should know about? I think we're working on getting a new revision of the app out pretty soon that'll have some minor user interface enhancements. Otherwise, most of my time right now is getting ready for that expanded global is the wrong word, but ex additional coverage in new geographic areas is my main focus right now. Okay, good. And where should the listeners go to subscribe? Yeah, so it's $5 a month. It's uh, jettip.net is the website. And of course, I've got a, uh, an app available on uh, the Apple and Google platforms. Uh, so you can find me there. And um, yeah, jettip.net. It's a fantastic service. Nick, thank you so much. Thank you. I've come across, I think, a really interesting listener Dave Honan, who is a plane spotter that not only spots planes, but also spots trains. <laughs> so Dave, welcome to the Airplane Geeks podcast. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. We met today and you were talking earlier about some of the planes that you spot. What do you think are some of the more interesting aircraft? I live in the Seattle area, so obviously I see most of the commercial stuff that comes in that pretty much everyone sees. But one of my niche hobbies, passions, whatever, is uh, I venture up into the mountains to photograph low-level military jets flying the training routes through the mountains. It's a public resource. Anyone can get out there and do it. And I've just been very lucky to kind of develop that as a, a passion over the last few years where um, sometimes I'm able to even share the photos with the aviators and help make those connections and share with them imagery of them doing what they do, what they're trained to do. And it means a lot for them to be able to get those photos, too. So that's that's sort of why I'm a, a little unique, I guess, as a, as a plane spotter. The military aircraft, what can you say? What type of aircraft? Yeah, of course, of course. It's all public domain. I mean, they're all literally flying in the wild. So uh, a lot of what I see are Navy EA-18G Growlers, the electronic attack uh, aircraft right. uh, that supports both Navy and Air Force missions. So it's a joint use platform. Every so often we'll see F-15E Strike Eagles from Mountain Home Air Force Base in Idaho. And a little more infrequently, we get visitors from further afield. T-38s from Beale Air Force Base show up occasionally. My friends and I have seen Marine F-5s coming up from the desert on cross countries. Uh, every so often, we'll get some F-A-18s of various types. We've seen both uh, Legacy and Super Hornets okay, uh, nice. in recent times. Yeah, And all low-level 500 feet, 1,000 feet type. Uh, less than that sometimes. <laughs> so the uh, 
the growlers are typically at 500 feet due to a fleet requirement, but the other jets are typically able to fly as low as the pilots are qualified and the, the route rules allow. For example, C-17s, we see those fairly regularly as well from uh, JBLM, Port Air Force Base, and they're qualified down to 300 feet on the route. So it's pretty amazing to see this massive cargo jet banking at 60 degrees through the corners in the, in the valleys, it, the remarkable machines. Yeah, so I guess uh, pilots really would appreciate getting some photographs of them doing that. Absolutely, because it's not something that they're able to get for themselves or amongst the other aircraft in a formation when they're in that tactical environment. They need to focus on the mission. They can't have someone sitting around with a big telephoto lens shooting out one of the cockpit windows. And you were talking before about some of the more interesting places or things that you've been able to spot. Earlier today, you were actually up in a control tower, weren't you? Yeah, a friend of mine was able to arrange a tour of the Boeing Field Tower. So that was the first time I'd been up there. I was lucky enough to uh, time my visit for when one of Boeing's 777X test aircraft was returning from uh, a test flight. And we got to see it landing right in the blue hour, which was a lot of fun. I would have loved to have seen that. Oh, it's amazing. It's, again, I'm lucky living here that I get to see the, the 777Xs, et cetera, fairly regularly. They're kind of, you know, they're my backyard spotting locations and, and planes. So for me, it may not have been quite as big of a deal as it was for, say, Nick Benson, who was with me, who you also interviewed today. Right. Uh, for him, it was, you know, a bucket list item that he didn't even know was on his list. No, so that's sort of special. Since that's a unique, special place to go, where it are some of the best plane spotting locations? Um, around Seattle, Boeing Field, SeaTac, and Payne Field are all excellent places to go. Payne Field has become a little less of a draw in recent years with the reduction of Boeing's uh, or the issues, perhaps, with Boeing's. Uh, maybe we should cut that out. No, we've documented it. <laughs> uh, they're, they're heavy uh, production lines. You know, obviously, the last 747, as we speak about this, is in paint at Portland. So that'll be the last one to deliver from paint. It only has maybe a couple more flights left from there. The 787 production's back east, and we only see the, the dregs of that that need to come over here for repair. Right. Yep. Um, you know, the 777X line is having its challenges. Pain is dried up. Boeing Field is hopping with uh, 737 MAX activity, along with uh, the Navy or the, I should say, the military's P-8 production line. There are not only the U.S. Navy, but a lot of international customers for that plane. So we get to see those foreign tails as they go through the uh, the production testing of those aircraft. Um, and then SeaTac is a very international airport. So in addition to being uh, you know Alaska's main hub in the the CONUS, it's also uh, an international destination. We get heavies from around the world. Special liveries are through here all the time. Uh, and every so often we get some interesting cargo flights that make it fun to spot, especially if you come out here in the late spring, early summer during cherry harvest season. A lot of the Southeast Asian cargo airlines make rare stops through here to pick up fresh cherries. Nice. Yeah, so that's special aircraft with special cargo. Yes, very much so. And any place else around the states or internationally that you've been to that you want to give a shout out to? I've been to LAX a few times. It's an amazing place. Don't sleep on Moses Lake in central Washington. It's a long way to go and it's in the middle of nowhere, but there's some really interesting stuff there. I was lucky to be present for the first flight of Aviation's Alice electric aircraft this past fall, and there are other alternate fuel development projects underway that are doing their test programs at Moses Lake. There's an aircraft at Moses Lake right now that does uh, has equipped with oil dispersant spray uh, equipment. It's been doing some testing there. So since you're into plane spotting, I have to ask, what camera, what lens? 
So uh, a friend of mine helped me get into digital photography right after I graduated college in the mid 2000s. So I've been a Canon user because of his familiarity and the equipment that he had with that line. Currently, I shoot with a 1DX Mark II, the 100 to 400 uh, Mark II zoom lens, uh, 24 to 105 Mark II. Uh, and a couple other things. It's a good little bit of kit you have. Yes. <laughs> I am a very serious amateur photographer. I take my passion seriously, and I really enjoy creating high-quality imagery. As you alluded to in the beginning of this, uh, I've done a lot of train photography in the past, and I've been fairly widely published in that hobby. So um, I definitely look to create photographs that are of print quality, and that's why I've, I've invested in the equipment that I have. Yeah, that no, makes sense. And then is there a website that people could go to, or how's the best place? for people to see your photographs? The best place to find my work is on Instagram at D-W-H-O-N-A-N, D-W Honan. I also have a website, DaveHonan.com, but I don't put as much of my work there. It's for other purposes. But there's photography there, uh, but not the aviation stuff as much. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, thank you very much for the time. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. Appreciate it.